Okay, if you open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, in chapter 55, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 9. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, listen to me. And eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David." Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that thou that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. For he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's be seated. And let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth now, it would not return void for the purpose you have sent it out, Lord. That is to seek and to save that which was lost. I pray your spirit would teach us this morning. Because apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. Unless you make this word alive to us and real to our hearts. We'll just become like a scribe. I pray you would descend upon this meeting today, Lord. You would search our hearts, grant repentance where it's needed. Help us to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Lord, help us now. May your word come with power in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. And let me remind you that as Paul said to those in Rome, I am ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome. And he was talking to believers there. And we often say, you know, the gospel's not just for unbelievers, it's for believers. And it's starting to become a bit of a cliche. But when Paul said that, when Paul preached the gospel in that letter to the Romans, he wasn't just, you know, you Christians, well, you need to hear the gospel every now and again and feel good. But rather, he preached the gospel to them as motivation to just present their whole lives Everything they are is put on that altar to die to themselves. So wherever this message finds you this morning, that is really 
the aim of this message that we would die to ourselves and be a living sacrifice, put all on the altar for Jesus Christ. And so just before we look at our text here in Isaiah 55, I just want us also to consider a few verses from Isaiah 53. You see, in Acts chapter 8, we're told there of an Ethiopian eunuch who was one day sat in his chariot reading a portion of scripture from Isaiah 53. And when Philip the evangelist came to him, the eunuch asked Philip to explain the meaning of that passage. He wanted Philip to help make sense of it to him. He wanted to understand it. And it says there that Philip, he began from where the eunuch was reading in Isaiah, and he preached unto him Jesus. And that is really the way to make sense of any Bible passage. And this is what I want to do before you this morning. Preach unto you Jesus and the way of salvation, the way of eternal life. And so if you consider with me Isaiah 53 verse 5. Speaking of the Messiah there, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Not his own, he didn't have any. The chastisement for our peace, peace with God was upon him. And with his stripes, literally scourging or blows that cut in, we are healed. Verse 6, All We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Look at this here. The whole of mankind turned against God. Turned away from God and said to him, we will not have this man reign over us. We're not going to live according to your way. And so every one of the human race... Romans 1 says, try to suppress the truth of the one true God out of their minds, out of their thinking. Of course, many are happy to make worship a version of God that they have invented in their own minds. You see, rather than like before the fall of mankind, when God created man, he created man in his own image. But what you now have is fallen man trying to create a God in his own image. And, and people say things like, well, my God isn't like this or like that. Or they say, I think God should be like this, or I think God should do that. Or, but listen, it does not matter how people imagine and fantasize about how they would like God to be. Because there is a judgment day coming. A day of reckoning when everyone will stand before the one true and living God. On that day, your sin will find you out. Everything you've done in secret will be made known. Every wicked thought we've even had. Every wicked deed you've done will be revealed in that day. And God has not only warned us in his word... About this, but he, but there is also a sense. He's put a sense in us that there will be a future judgment within our hearts. Because when you hear of a, a grievous criminal going unpunished, you, you instinctively know that something is wrong with that. Because God has put that into your heart, a, a sense that justice must be done. Well, there, there is a day coming. When justice must be done and will be done for the whole of mankind. There is a day coming when justice must be done with each one of us. And none will escape that day. The Bible says we shall all stand before the judgment seats of Jesus Christ. And what's more, the Bible says there will be many In that day, who Jesus said will call him Lord, Lord. They profess to be followers of him. But in actual fact, they're still going their own way. 
They have a form of godliness, a, a form of Christianity, but they stubbornly refuse to bow the knee to him. They stubbornly refuse to bow the knee to Christ and do what he says and follow his way, do his will, despite the profession of faith, they refuse to follow him. Despite the profession of Christianity, they're still saying in the heart, we will not have this man reign over us. Let me ask you, if someone or something even had treated you like you treated God, how would you have reacted? You know, a few years back, I was in Arkham in Germany. And outside the apartment I was living in, there, was, there came a notice upon the wall. And certain bugs had infested some of the, the apartments there. And I think it was the next morning that I went into the shower. And I saw this very large, grotesque thing, just disgusting bug on the floor. But it was just lay there. And so I took my chance, I just got my shoe, and without hesitation, I just crushed that vile and wretched thing. But then instantly I realized that, that bug was just so vile for me to look upon, that the first chance I got, I just crushed that thing and killed it. And then I realized how much more vile and disgusting did I in all my sin. How much more vile did I look to a God who is infinitely pure, holy, and righteous? And did God ju just crush me? The first chance he got there. No, he, he loved me. He took on the form of me. And he was willingly crushed in my place to save me. And, and then even for many years... When I just rebelled and rebelled against him, he still bared much patience with me. Second Corinthians 5.21, speaking of Christ, says, For he hath made him to be sin, a sin offering for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, the, the perfect, the spotless Lamb of God, was without sin. And he exchanged places with us. He became like us in order to redeem us. If you look with me, starting in Isaiah 52 from verse 12. We are given this prophecy here of the, the Messiah. Remember, this was written about 700 years before Christ. And we are told of here this righteous servant. Now, if you look with me at verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage, his appearance, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Or as the ESV puts it, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance. Do you see what's happening here? Man was created in the image, in the likeness, and the character of God. Do you see how far man has fallen from God? From when God made us. Christ... He has exchanged places with us. The image of God in man has now become so marred by the corruption of sin that mankind barely, re barely resembles what a human being is. And look at Isaiah 53 verse 2. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. And this is the bit I want you to see. He hath no form, nor comeliness, no glory or majesty. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's being done here? 
In the Song of Solomon 5.16, we are told that Jesus, he is altogether lovely. Everything about Jesus Christ is altogether beautiful and wholly desirable. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus took your place. When it says here, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's how you were to God. There was no form of comeliness in you. There was no beauty why God should desire you. There was only every reason to make us detestable before God. And that he should condemn us all. But look what God did. This was God's reaction to to mankind's rebellion against him. This was God's reaction to mankind selfishly going astray. He took our place and became man. As it says in the second half of verse 6, The Lord hath laid on him, on the Son of God, the iniquity of us all. You see, the guilt of our sin for our wickedness and rebellion against God, it was imputed, it was accounted, it was laid upon Jesus Christ. The guilt of our sin was transferred to him. And so, therefore, because the guilt of our sin was imputed to Christ, he then was therefore seen as guilty before the judgment throne of God. And so the punishment that we deserve for our sin was also made accountable to God. Let me give you an analogy to explain how this works in Jesus paying our debt for all those who will trust in him. Let's say I have a debt of £10,000 or $10,000. Now, it's my debt. I have accumulated this debt. And so I am responsible to pay it. But suppose you have a debt that is a million pounds or a million dollars, ten million dollars. Suppose it's an amount, whatever it may be for you, that you simply cannot hope to pay. You do not have the means to pay it. Now, because you have a debt that you cannot pay... Does this make you any less responsible to pay that debt? Of course not. It is your debt. And so you and you alone are fully responsible to pay it. And this is like each person before God. Before the God who is just infinitely holy, righteous and just. We have a debt before him. For our sin... Against him that we simply cannot pay. I mean, our sin is against an infinite God. And so, therefore, any sin committed against him is is of infinite magnitude. I mean, we cannot even begin to imagine just how bad our sin is against the God so holy. It only took one little piece of fruit in the garden. The whole universe was put under the judgment of God and a curse. Now, speaking in human terms, if we all have a debt that we cannot pay, the only way we can become free of that debt is either, number one, the debt is written off by the debtor, but that's no good in regards to our sin against God, because God can't simply just write off our debt and pretend nothing happened. Because if God just forgave our sin without the debt being paid then that would just be a corrupt and unjust judge. You see, if if God fails to make sure justice is done, then he would be no better than a judge on this earth who, who fails to punish a child killer. You know, when we see a judge like that, we don't think, you know, that's a loving judge, do we? But we know that person's evil. He's corrupt. And so the only way in which we could be free of our debt against God for our sin, that we cannot pay, is for someone else to pay it for us. And that someone had to be God himself. Because it couldn't be an angel, 
It couldn't be another human even if there was a perfect one. Because a finite created being could not pay off an infinite debt. So God in love for us, he took on humanity. He became fully man. In order to suffer and die and pay that penalty for all those who will turn back to him. If you look again at the second half of Isaiah 53 and verse 6 here. After we had all gone our own way. After we had turned away from God, it says that the Lord hath laid on him upon the everlasting Son of God the iniquity of us all. Our guilt, the debt for our sin, and therefore the responsibility to pay that debt, was imputed, it was transferred to Jesus Christ. Listen to me, it has been fully transferred to him. I mean... Let's say I have a debt of $10,000. And someone else goes to my debtor and says, charge Kevin's debt to my account. Then, if that transfer goes ahead, then that debt I am no longer responsible for. It's From then on, it is responsible, fully responsible to the person To whom that debt has been transferred to. And you see that is what Christ did upon the cross. Christ paid the penalty in full. For all those who will trust in him. For all those who will have him save you. He paid for our sins past, present and future. All of them. Every last drop. Of our sin is paid for. You know, on the cross Jesus said, it is finished. If there was one drop of sin still to be paid for, Jesus could not have rose from the dead. Because our sin, he, he wouldn't have died anyway if our sin wasn't imputed to him. If there was one drop of our sin still to be paid for, then Jesus could have not ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He would have had no right to if he still had some of our sin left. As it says there in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him and he made his soul an offering for sin. Christ, our great high priest, who all those Old Testament priests were just a mere faint shadow of, he offered himself up And took upon himself our debt and was punished in your place. In our place. As the hymn goes, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. And in verse 7, this is the verse we're told the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. It says, he was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought, he, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You know, there is a, a poem by John Newton that says, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood, who fixed his loving eyes on me. As near his cross I stood. And never till my dying breath. Will I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death. Though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt. And plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt. And helped to nail him there. But with a second look, he said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. And so after what God has done, if you look with me now at Isaiah 55 and verse 1. We are told... 
what you are to do in response to him. Whether you're an unbeliever, whether you're a believer, this is what we are to do in our response. You see, the payment for sin has been made. Jesus upon the cross is fully satisfied. He is completely satisfied. The wrath of God on the behalf of all those who will trust in him. Jesus does not half save people. He does everything perfect. But not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone is forgiven. So the next question we must ask is that if Christ has done everything we need to get into heaven, then how is what Christ is done, how is it transferred to you? And and listen to me now, whatever you've done in the past, no matter how rebellious you have been against God, listen to me, no matter how stubborn You've been constantly rejecting his continuous mercy towards you. Listen to me now. Jesus Christ invites you here in Isaiah 55 to come to him and to rest in that finished work on the cross and receive complete and total pardon for your sin forever. He invites you to be completely forgiven for all your sins, past, present and future. And be at peace with God forever. But you must do what he tells you here. So look with me now at Isaiah 55 verse 1. Consider these words. The text begins here by saying, Ho. Now the word ho is an old word meant to get your attention. God wants your attention now. He's trying to reach you now. He wants to speak with you. And this word ho was often used by sailors who, when they'd be on a long journey at sea, at the first sight of land, someone would shout, land ho. And normally upon hearing this, all the sailors would rush upon the deck and they would do everything they could to get that ship to the land. And listen, maybe you've heard this gospel message time and time again. Maybe you've heard it many, many times. Maybe you've heard about this promised land. Maybe some have been trying to be saved and trying and trying and trying. But you just can't seem to make it to the shore. You just can't seem to reach this promised land. Well, listen here. The text, listen to what it says. This promised land is in sight now. God wants your attention now. He wants you to know that salvation being reconciled to him is within your grasp this day. And so don't just let let it sail on by. You must pay attention now to what God is saying to you here in this verse. And so he continues to say in verse 1, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Notice the word Everyone. This invitation here, it doesn't say everyone except you. But it is offered to all. It is offered to you this day. You say, but do you mean right now at this moment? Yes, that's what the Bible says. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day when you can be saved. Today is the day, now is the time, when God will accept you. If you will come to him on his terms to be forgiven. He doesn't say wait for another day. And and notice the invitation here. It says, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Are you thirsty for life this morning? Perhaps this message, perhaps it finds you in a place... Where you were fed up of drinking the the stale waters of this life. Perhaps you've been drinking stagnant waters of dead religion. Perhaps you grew up in a Christian home. Or maybe you have a husband or a wife who truly follows the Lord. Or perhaps you have some other family members or friends who knows Christ. 
But maybe to you it just seems like you're going through the motions and has always been that way. And you've never really come to Christ. You see other people around you in this church and you know they're real. But the Christianity you have just feels dead. You see other Christians around you and you know, you you can see what they have as real. Christ is not distant to them. But to you there is something missing from your life. Something you do not have. You know, I was a, a false convert for many years. I professed Christianity, but there was always something, or rather someone, who was missing from my life. And that was the person of Jesus Christ, and knowing Him. And and for several years, I was just following along. And listen, my, my time as a false professor, my time when I professed to be a Christian but did not know Christ... I mean, I thought I was, I was deceived, but the warning signs were all there because it was marked by sin. The outside of the cut was clean. I was a good person to a lot of people. But inwardly, I was still like dead men's bones. But listen, if you are in a place this morning where you have had enough of drinking from the stale and stagnant waters of this world, if you're fed up of drinking from the waters of sin, that only leave you with a bad taste in your mouth afterwards and only leave you more thirsty. Jesus said in John 4.14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you want this water? Do you want him? Listen to his call now. Jesus invites you here to come and drink from him. In John seven thirty-seven and 38, it says, In the last day, in the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, Saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers, not trickles, but rivers of living water, not stagnant water, but flowing living water. And notice there as well in John 7, that coming to Jesus is synonymous with believing him. How do you come to him? Well, you trust him. You take him at his word. You believe him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. These rivers of waters here speak of the blessings of God. The blessings of knowing Christ. The blessings of being in a right relationship with Him. That you can have if you will just humble yourself and just put simple childlike trust in Him to save you. But you may say, well, how can I come in the state I am in? What do I have to do to be accepted of him? And this world is just full of people trying to do something to reconcile themselves to God. You have the Roman Catholics and the Muslims trying to make themselves right before God by doing various rituals. But there are many professing Christians who sit in church buildings doing the same. Trying to clean themselves up. Trying to repent more, believe more. But listen, it never works and it never will work. You cannot earn favor with God. But but notice here. Despite you can do nothing. Neither does it say here. You can't clean yourself up. You can do nothing to clean yourself up. But notice here, he doesn't say wait and do nothing. 
God doesn't say to you here, wait and do nothing, but he tells you to come to him, to believe him right now. And look who can come here. He says, and he that have no money, he that has nothing to offer God, the one who has given up on trying to save themselves, you realize you can't save yourself. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. As Charles Spurgeon once said, normally a salesman, after first describing to you the item which he wants you to purchase, He then tries to bring you up to the price. But notice that's not the case here. Because listen closely. In order for you to receive what is freely offered here, you must come down to the price. You know, in the parable of the wedding feast, a great... King invited all to come and dine at his feast. But we are told though that there was a guest who was not wearing a wedding garment. And so he was bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me explain it. In those days, when when a king would have a wedding ceremony like that, or a big ceremony, it was custom for the king to make and provide the garments for the guests who were at the wedding. And to not put on that wedding garment provided for you, that was to show great contempt for the king. Now this is all a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has provided a righteous garment of his perfect righteousness for you to wear at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But some of you may be refusing to put it on and you're trying to dress yourself in your own filthy garment of your own works, of your own repentance, of your own efforts to try and clean up yourself. But listen, whilst you're trying to clean up yourself to be accepted, whilst you're refusing to trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ, you're only showing contempt to the King of Kings, despising what he's done upon that cross. You you cannot get to heaven without wearing this wedding garment, so quit trying to dress yourself. And just put on, just trust in the righteousness that Christ has provided for you. You know, who ever heard of someone who said? Because there are many who realize they need Christ, they need to be right with God. But they're still trying to do something. They're still trying to make themselves right. But who ever heard of someone who said, I'm so thirsty, I'm going to wait till my thirst is quenched and then I'll drink. Whoever heard of a sick person who said, I'm going to wait until I'm better and then I'm going to call for a doctor? Whoever heard of a beggar who was, when given money, said, wait, hold on. I can't accept your money yet. I must go and have a wash and put on a a nice suit and then I'll accept your gift. You see, we don't think like this in any other area of life. So stop trying to dress up, to clean up yourself, to make yourself better. Stop trying to make yourself accepted before God. And realize you have nothing to offer Him. And come to Him now by the merit of Jesus' blood. You know, often I will counsel people and they they realize there's some big sin they're holding on to which is stopping them coming to Christ. But what they're doing is they're, they're trying to, they're thinking, the thinking is if I get rid of this, then Christ will upset me. But the Bible says, come as you are. He doesn't say, go and labor on. He, he says, come.
listen to me now. Jesus has done everything needed for salvation. All that is left for you to do now is turn from self and to him. To see what he has done and believe him. As the glorious hymn goes, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready waits to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye needy, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings us nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus, come and buy. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. Agonizing in the garden, your Redeemer prostrate lies. On the bloody tree behold him, hear him cry before he dies, it is finished, it is finished, sinner. Will not this suffice? Lo, the incarnate God ascended, please the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. And verse 2 here. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me. And eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. You know in John 6 verse 27. We have a similar thing here. Jesus said. Labor not for the meat for the food. Which perisheth. But for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Listen, why? 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 Continue a moment longer without Christ. Why continue a moment without trusting in the full forgiveness of him? Why Keep trying to find satisfaction in yourself or in this world or in something else apart from Jesus Christ, apart from wholly leaning upon him. When you know it does not satisfy. Why toil and labor on that which is temporal only to perish? The people responded there in John 6 verse 28. Then, then said the unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? After Jesus exhorts them, why labor for that which satisfieth not? They ask him, what shall we do that we might do the works of God? How do we attain this eternal life that does satisfy? You see again, man is always looking for something to do. To try and make themselves acceptable before God. I've seen this before when after preaching the gospel I've seen someone say, Well, I'm gonna now I'm gonna cry out to God for the next two hours. Now there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but there was in the way this guy is thinking, because his thinking was I you know, I'll do this and then it it'll merit the acceptance of God. Rather than just giving up and being saved. Man is always looking for something to do. To try and make him or herself acceptable. But John 6 verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them. This is the work of God. This is the only thing that you can do. To make yourself acceptable to God. That ye believe on him. Whom he hath sent. Will you do this? Will you give Christ the glory and rest in what he's done?
and have him save you. Verse 3, incline your ear. Listen diligently to what God is saying here. You know, you think of incline, lean in, come closely, come closely. And what does he say? And come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. A greater than David, that is, the son of David, Jesus Christ. He says there, if you will come to him, he will make a covenant with you. He will bind himself to you. And look at verse 6 here. We just skip forward. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Notice salvation is near to you now. If you will surrender and turn from all hope in yourself. And just hope in him. And listen also because this implies that there will come a day when he will not be found. So don't play games. Don't put off this any longer. But call upon him to save you. Seek him now while he may be found. And do not stop until you are found in him. Don't come to him half-hearted. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now when it says here, return unto the Lord. This is like in the parable of the prodigal son where the prodigal, it says, returned to his father. You see, this doesn't mean that he was once a true Christian and went astray. Although, let me tell you this, for a a true Christian who is backslidden, those same promises are still there. But that rather that when he returned, what is meant by that is we, all of mankind, were once united to God in Adam. He was our head of the moral head of the human race. And when Adam sinned, we all went astray from God with him. But now here, you are invited to return to him. So what does returning to him involve? It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. You must repent. You must stop going your own way. Stop being your own authority. And follow Christ. Instead follow Christ. Submit yourself to his authority. To his rule. And the unrighteous man must forsake his thoughts. What does this mean? Well, stop thinking. That life is all about me, myself and I. And realize it is about him. Stop leaning upon your own understanding. And fully lean upon Jesus. Just trust him in everything. Even when you don't quite understand it, admit that he is God and you are not. And he is a God who who loves us. Who wants what is better for us. As the mother of Jesus said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And notice here God's willingness to save you. If you will return unto him now. It says, for he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I mean, again, just just like the, what is it to return unto him? Just like the parable of the prodigal son, the sinner in the pig trough, he comes to himself, he comes to his senses. The unrighteous man forsakes his unrighteous thoughts. And says, I will arise and go to my father. You see, that's what repentance is. Coming to your senses. And realizing, what is the point in continuing to labor for that which satisfieth not? But listen also, because repentance that leadeth unto life is always accompanied by an attitude that says, I will arise and go to my father. 
And if you will do this this day, not, not to play games and go half-hearted, but if you want him now, if you want Jesus, you will find him. Because that's what his word says. So, so go to him now and he will forgive you if you do it of, of all your sin and cleanse you from, from all your idols. Because verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says there, I'm not like you. If someone had treated you like you treated me, then you probably wouldn't forgive them. I mean, would any of you give your lives to save a worm? Well, the difference between God and you is much greater than the difference between you and a worm. And in the next verses here, from verse 10, you know, rain coming down here and the the earth beginning to bud, the picture here is life appears. And it will in your soul for all those who will rest in Christ, who will have him save you this day. I was reading this morning in in Joshua. You don't have to turn there. In 21.44 it says, And the Lord gave them rest, round about according to all that he swore, according to all that he promised to their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them, The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And listen, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. God's promises do not fail. The Lord gave them rest. Jesus said, all you are heavy laden and weary. Not go and labor on, but come unto me. And rest. Rest in him. And you will have peace for your soul. Just take him at his word. Just believe him. Just submit yourself unto his lordship. Become his slave instead of a slave of sin. It was Spurgeon who said, you know, if I see a... A needle going across a table. I know there's... But if I see a needle going across a table all by itself, I know there's a, a magnet underneath at work. And it's the same when someone comes to God. If you feel your need for Him, know that it's Him who's drawing you. So take Him at His word. Believe Him. Put all trust in Him. And he will save you. Let's pray.